Welcome back to the 88th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, two of which are talking about the U.S. ratcheting up pressure against some of the American people's favorite app, TikTok, and one article talking about how the IRA, or the Inflation Reduction Act, has really set the goalpost for the green energy revolution and how the EPA is going to help follow through on that. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, there's enough rambling from me. Let's jump into our daily debate. So TikTok, once again, is in the crosshairs of government. Both state and federal governments are aggressively pursuing different means to loosen or weaken TikTok's hold on the American public and their data. But most people I talk to, and this is from my generation, Gen Z, the boomers that have TikTok, millennials, they really don't care if their data is being given over to the CCP. So is this a politically advantageous move, or will it simply spoil the goodwill of the people? And I think it's a very interesting question, because nowadays people don't care about, they care about privacy, but they don't care about their online privacy as much as some people would think. Or at least they may say they do, but they're still willing to give their information over to the CCP for the convenience and just a little bit of dopamine and serotonin that TikTok brings. So we'll see how this plays out. We'll see if there's an uproar, a backlash. I know a lot of people in my generation love TikTok, so we'll see. So let's jump into our first article. This one comes from Just the News. Ohio legislation takes aim at youngest use of social media platforms. So basically, there's a little bit of dressing that we need to do in this situation. So I'll take a quote directly from the article to start us off. Quote, social media platforms operating in Ohio could soon be required to determine if a user is under the age of 16 and get parental consent before allowing a youngster to use their applications. Apps like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Snapchat, and other gaming and activity companies. It would not include e-commerce or online shopping apps. It's called the Social Media Parental Notification Act, end quote. So, this is a very interesting step by Ohio. And it has, of course, been a question that has been asked for a long time. At what point do kids have the right to just go on to these different social media platforms without the consent of their parents and give over personal information, their habits, what they love, what they like, what they may want to do, where they spend their money, and... It has really been of concern to a lot of different parents. And, of course, you can always put a little page up that says, are you over the age of 16? But any four-year-old, even if they don't necessarily know what they're doing, can click the yes button so that they can have access to all that different information. So now the Ohio legislator is saying, okay, okay, 
We need to take a step back. We need to make sure that if these kids are going on the platforms, they have their parents' consent. And how do you go about that? Well, the only thing that they can necessarily think of here is not necessarily those little pop-ups that say, are you over this certain age? But they're actually putting the burden on these social media companies to determine the age of their users. So my question is, how are they going to go about this? Are they going to send out a survey to all the users? And then if the user says, I'm under this particular age, because you can very easily falsify the information that you use to create your account. And then when you send out the survey, how do you know that those same people that pretended they're a little bit older to get onto these social media platforms aren't going to do the same thing again when this survey goes out? Are they going, are these social media companies going to go through all the data of these different users and say, oh no, they're lying. They're actually 16. Maybe they'll look for birthday photos or something or posts about their birthday. But how is this practical? I like the idea. Honestly, I do. I think that parents should have stricter rules, in my opinion, for social media use with kids. And if you want to let your kid on there, great. That is your choice as a parent. And I think the premise of this alone, which is we need to make sure that our kids are using social media in a responsible way and that the parents are okay with it, is great. I think it's just very hard to implement from the government level. It's hard for the government to say to these companies, you have to enforce this. We don't know how you're going to do it. And as we'll discuss later, they only have 90 days to figure it out. And then you have to implement it across all of Ohio. I think that's very tricky to do. I think the honest and more easy solution is to raise awareness among parents about what's happening. And this, is, of course, is what we have done. We have lots of news articles, studies that show the effects of social media on kids. And then hopefully parents who are responsible or at least realize the dangers of these apps, the potential dangers, there are many great things that come with these apps, but the potential dangers, they will, on their own terms, come up with rules on how their kid can use these social media apps. At the end of the day, it shouldn't be up to the state because some parents may not care. They may not give two balonies about what their kid does, and they're totally okay with them going on these apps. So they're just going to say, yes, I consent to my kid using these apps. So at that point, it really is just going to be a parent's decision. That's all the government's doing. The government is passing the buck. It's telling the social media companies they need to figure this out, who's 16 and under, and then it's also just passing the buck to the parents, oh, do you consent? And that's just making it a formal process of having it written down so these companies know, yes, this person has consent to be on this platform. But at the end of the day, if you have a strong social net, and if you have parents saying, no, you can't go on these apps, then kids won't create those accounts in the first place. And then Facebook wouldn't have to do these sort of studies and make sure that these accounts have consent. Because otherwise, they wouldn't be on the platform if they didn't have their parents' consent. If parents were willing to step in and actually say, no, you're not allowed to have social media. Yes, you are allowed to have social media. That's how it should be. And that's what these platforms have been relying on anyway for the past 20 years. It's assuming that if you're underage, that your parents are involved enough in your life and want to make sure that you're doing things that are acceptable to them. And they're the ones keeping you off these platforms or allowing you to go on them. 
Now, obviously, that doesn't hold up. Lots of kids have phones, and they go behind their parents' back. They can get around parental controls and download these apps. But in theory alone, in an ideal world, we should have a strong social culture and a strong family structure that allows for these parents to really help and, I don't want to say control, because that's a, a heated word, but be involved in their child's life. And that's what we're missing. And that's why the government has to step in in this instance, or at least that's why they feel they have to step in and say, well, you parents aren't paying attention as much as you should. So now we're going to go to these companies, make them create this agreement so that your kids are going to come screaming to you, mom, 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 they won't let me on Instagram. They won't let me do anything on Instagram if you don't consent. Do you consent? Now it's not something in the background. The parents can't just say, oh, yeah, my kid uses Instagram. Uh, Yeah, he does what he wants. Now the parents actually have to be involved in the decision. They have to take on a little bit of responsibility for what happens to their kid on Instagram if they say, yes, I consent to you being on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, which is mining a whole bunch of data from these young people. It's suggesting different types of videos that may not be the healthiest. You know, when you saw the mental health onset of ticks in young girls uh, a year ago or so on TikTok. These sort of things happen. And kids being on social media have consequences. And now the parents are going to be directly confronted with the fact that, oh, I have to give these companies permission for my kid to be on there. Now I am officially liable. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were already liable in normal terms because they're their kids. But now they really have to think about the decision and be like, do I actually really want them on these websites? And if that's the goal of this legislation, rather than just trying to put up a barrier for some of these kids to get on social media, I think that is interesting. I don't like the government doing social engineering. I don't think that's the proper role of government. But it is an interesting side effect, or could be, of this law. But where the problem is is they are only giving these companies a short amount of time. Like I mentioned before, let me read you a really quick quote. If passed and signed into law, companies would have 90 days to create a way to determine if a user is under 16, get verifiable parental consent, and send written confirmation to the parent if a legal guardian or parent refuses to consent to the terms of service the company would have to deny access to the child, end quote. So the government's stepping in, they're trying to create social incentives, fine, but they're also only giving these companies 90 days. That feels like not enough time at all. Not only to create a program that is able to determine if these kids are 16, but then check with their parents, send them a notification, get all the relevant information mailed out to them. It's just... It seems like Ohio is coming in a little bit heavy-handed. And this could be extremely hard for companies that don't necessarily operate, or at least their main branch, their parent company, isn't in the United States, a.k.a. TikTok with ByteDance. So we'll see how this plays out, and we'll see if more people, more states, say, okay, you know what, I like what Ohio did there. And this is the beauty of federalism, in my opinion. Even though I don't fully agree with what Ohio is doing, because we have a system that is not controlled top-down for the most part, 
these states can be testing grounds for these sort of policies. It, it's a small area. With Ohio is a relatively small population, so it's a smaller sector of the population that this law can be tried on. Not saying they're guinea pigs, but that is the beauty of federalism. Every state is a little laboratory, and we can see if this policy works, and then other states can adopt it, or even maybe the federal government could adopt it if it works out and these companies are actually able to come up with a way to determine if these users are under 16 and they can implement this in a efficient and worthwhile way. We'll see. But speaking about TikTok and all that, we have even more news on the federal level. We talked about our state issue. Now we're going to jump to the federal. This article comes from HuffPost. Biden administration demands TikTok owners sell or face nationwide ban. So this is the one that really caught my attention. This, honestly, from Biden, sounds like Trumpian language. Either you sell off your company to an American-owned business, or we're going to outright ban you. This is not something I would see Joe Biden doing. And when I say that, let's be clear. I think that some Democrats are totally okay with getting rid of TikTok because it's mining the data of our citizens. But normally the last few years have been the Democrats really opposed to almost anything Donald Trump was suggesting. And this was a big thing that he had brought up during the COVID pandemic. So to see Biden do the exact same thing, I thought it was interesting. And it honestly speaks to the fact that the U.S. does not want a company that is owned by a Chinese, I don't want to say collaborator, but a company that is operated out of China that has ties to the Chinese Communist Party, we do not want that here in the United States. It's a bipartisan issue for the most part, and it speaks to the threat that TikTok could have. Now, I know you've probably heard of the examples, if not on my podcast, all around the Internet, of the fact that the TikTok version of China promotes educational content, national content, content that is helpful and useful if you're trying to build a strong society. And then you look at what you see on American TikTok. Some videos are very informative. And if you have an algorithm or interests that take you down that way, you can learn topics from American history, world history. You can learn about social justice issues. You can go down the rabbit hole of the best chocolate maker in the world. But there's also an abundance of content that is confusing that leads to different mental health issues like I had talked about with the tics or the multi uh, the dissociative identity disorder uh, issue that came up on some of the TikTok feeds a few years ago. So these pieces of content are there as well and they are being promoted and I'm not saying that they're being pushed by the Chinese Communist Party because we don't have that verifiable evidence. But the fact that these sort of things are allowed to be on the platform, but also fester, even when there have been some documented experiences of people adapting or taking on certain characteristics of these mental health issues because they watch this content so often, I think that speaks a lot to what the possibilities of this app are. I'm not saying it's done on purpose, but the possibility that this could be used in a malicious way. So it makes sense, in my opinion, that it's a bipartisan push to at least limit TikTok or have a U.S. company buy it so it's not 
held captive by the Chinese Communist Party. So I'll read you a quote about what Biden's actually trying to do here. Quote, Biden administration is reportedly demanding that TikTok be sold by its Chinese owner or risk facing a ban across the U.S. The move is an escalation in federal officials' efforts to address national security concerns about the social media company's owner, ByteDance, which is headquartered in Beijing. TikTok, a popular short-form video app, is used by more than 100 million Americans, driving concerns about the company's link in China and its handling of user data, end quote. And what I think is interesting here is the angle that is always taken by the administration is user data, user data, user data. We don't want our data from our consumers to be out there. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, if you use Google, Facebook, other search engines, almost any other app, they are mining your data. Very often they have just as much data, if not a little bit more than TikTok, and they're selling it to companies who are then selling it on to other companies. So the Chinese, in theory, could easily get that data. It is probably out there. So I think it's an interesting angle to take. And why I bring it up is because a lot of the people I talk to don't care. They're like, oh, yeah, the Chinese have our data. Big whoop. Everybody else has my data, too. I don't care. I think that they're hesitant to say that the amount of control that could be exerted over a society, the way that it this app could change values by showing certain types of content that are meant to divide the nation. I don't think the administration wants to actually bring this up. And maybe this is just my opinion being projected and trying to find a rationale for it. But I don't think they want to bring it up and acknowledge that that's an actual possibility and scare people or give credence to the fact that it could happen and therefore the Chinese government might actually try to do it. So whenever they say this big data claim, I agree, yes, we don't want a whole bunch of our data going out to TikTok that isn't otherwise publicly available, but a lot of our data is otherwise publicly available, and people don't necessarily care about privacy as much in a day and age where you go online, and in order to interact, in order to get things for free, you do have to give up your data. Whether people explicitly realize that or not, or just have a brief understanding of it, they're willing to give up a little bit of their data in order to have these free apps. So I think that the big data claim doesn't necessarily hold up. I think there's more to it, and especially on the national security front, ensuring that they're not seeing a whole bunch of content that is meant to divide the populace of America. And I think that's a genuine concern of different administrators, whether they be Republican or Democrat. But there was some pushback from TikTok. And they're speaking out against it. And I want to at least highlight their side here so you have an understanding of what they're thinking from their C-suite. Quote, TikTok is, quote, disappointed in the outcome, end quote, a spokesperson told NPR of the apparent ultimatum. TikTok has been negotiating for more than two years with the Committee on Foreign Investment, or CFUS, a committee made up of officials from multiple government agencies, including the Department of Treasury, Justice, Homeland Security, Defense and Commerce, and an effort to reach a deal that could allow TikTok to continue operations in the U.S. with stronger safeguards to protect against cybersecurity and privacy risks. So obviously, they've been pushing back, and they've really been trying to, I don't want to say lobby, but make their case in front of Washington. 
And now Biden's coming out and saying, okay, now I haven't heard it yet. Your case has not been made. I don't trust that you're not using the data maliciously. We've seen the case that some users, even journalists, their data has been sent to China from using TikTok. So, you know, you're going to have to show a little bit more proof in the pudding or you're going to have to get banned, basically. That's how I read Biden's statements. It's not necessarily that, oh, you're a Chinese company. You're not allowed to operate here in the United States. It's, no, no. If you want to operate here in the United States, be a U.S.-run company, so then you have to comply with some of our regulations so we can actually see what algorithm you're using, what technology you're using in order to enable this amazingly massive and really popular social media app to operate. This is also a second-generation warfare tactic, if you would believe that, which is this is the first Chinese social media to really take off in the United States. And if you know, the Chinese Communist Party doesn't really allow outside social medias like Instagram, Facebook, all these other social media platforms. There are Chinese versions. They don't let their populace, for the most part, go on these apps and see what the rest of the world is like or be able to influence, be influenced by the outside world and the values that are espoused here in the West. So they have now a direct pipeline to the West through TikTok, and that is an extremely powerful tool. And Biden's looking at the fact that, well, they don't allow any of our U.S. social media companies to operate in their country, and yet they have one that's really taken off in our country. That's dangerous. That's an asymmetric power relation that we just can't have. So maybe in his head there's also been that calculus. Well, if you allow Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat into China, then maybe we'll consider TikTok. And let's be clear, that's a false bargain because he knows that the Chinese government would never allow that because their people would then be exposed to the West and they would be able to see past some of the lies that the Chinese people are being told by their government. And also, that's maybe why Biden doesn't necessarily want us to have TikTok, because maybe there are some uncomfortable truths that we're being told as American citizens that they could easily debunk from an alternative perspective, or at least provide a different perspective that's not our own Western bubble. And maybe that's another reason that the administrators and legislators don't want TikTok here in the United States. But basically, the whole point of this article is Biden's coming down really hard. And at the end of the day, we really do have to consider a lot of these arguments that I brought up. We have to take into account the amount of control they could exert, whether or not it's fair competition to not be able to have our social media apps in their country, but they can have theirs in ours, whether or not the bipartisanship means that anything will actually happen. I don't know, but it's a lot of bluster. We'll see what happens. And we'll see if people start to realize how dangerous TikTok actually is or could be if it was let to run free. And maybe people's opinions will change about whether or not they want their data to be out there and used by the Chinese Communist Party. All right, let's jump to our last article. This one comes from Real Clear Politics. The new rules needed to build on climate gains. In this article, it provides a lot of dense information, so I'm going to just start out with a quote to really lay the groundwork of what we're going to be talking about here. Quote, the strategic climate investment President Biden and Congress enacted last summer 
is driving a heartland manufacturing renaissance with clean energy at its core, positioning the country for dramatic cuts in dangerous greenhouse gas emissions. Let's take a second there. Dangerous greenhouse gas emissions. That You can see their bias coming through. You can see how strongly Real Clear Politics wants these sort of policies in place. And as I'll talk about later, it's not a bad thing, but just something. Got to acknowledge a little bit of the bias there. Yeah, dangerous greenhouse gas emissions. That, that's a strong, strong wording without much evidence. Quote, the coming weeks are critical for building on these important gains as the Biden administration takes up new standards to limit carbon pollution from our cars, trucks, and dirty power plants. That's the next essential step in making sure the country receives the maximum possible benefit from the clean energy investment around $370 billion over 10 years, contained in the Inflation Reduction Act. It's off to a remarkable good start. Since Biden signed the act into law last summer, companies have announced at least $64 billion to build or expand renewable power stations or factories to make solar panels, wind turbines, and advanced batteries for electric vehicles. End quote. So this is a good building of more infrastructure. At the end of the day, as we've seen with Europe and Russia, we're not going to be able to give up on fossil fuels. We will need them for a while. If it's a really harsh winter and the solar panels get covered up or it's not windy, things of this nature, we can't always rely on renewable sources. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to fully and only rely on non-renewable fossil fuels because we need to have a robust infrastructure in place. We need to have multiple sources of energy. We need to have hydro. We need to have nuclear. We need to have solar. We need to have wind. We need to have tidal. We need to have natural gas. We need to have coal. We need to have all these different options so that, one, if you want to look at it from a purely economic standpoint, the more competition there is in with energy providers, the cheaper the energy will be for everybody. Now, that's just a great benefit. With cheaper energy comes the ability to warm your house in order to live in certain locales that may be a little bit more expensive. Maybe you can pay less in your electricity bill, though, and save some of that money to buy something essential or just something, take the family on a vacation. I know, let's be clear, it would probably take 10 years of savings on your electric bill in order to go on a vacation with your family. But my point is, when energy costs are lower, the society, or I take that back, when energy costs are lower, people have more access or are more willing to use energy, which means prosperity. At the end of the day, if you look at the growth of the Western world, it was extremely fast after the steam engine, and then after electricity came into the picture, and then from there, with different revolutions of creating electricity, you see an exponential growth in prosperity, not only economically, but also in living standards and birth rates and things of this nature. So it could be argued, though correlation is not causation, that the access to power, electricity, allows for greater prosperity. If you notice what is happening in a lot of the global south or third world countries, whatever you want to call them, they haven't had access to electricity for a long time. Now that's starting to change, and you're starting to see them industrialize very quickly. Their economies are growing. They're emerging on the world stage. This is correlated, not necessarily caused, but correlated 
with power production. So in my opinion, the more options we have, whether they're green or not green, is an amazing, amazing thing. Now, if these new green projects come at the expense of fossil fuels, that's where I have an issue. And I, at the beginning of Biden's administration, I would have thought that was a problem. But he actually just renewed a oil lease for 30 years on federal land. I don't remember what state, but I was listening to a different podcast where the person I was listening to was not happy about it. And understandably so, they have their beliefs about climate change and how we need to go to a green economy. But as a person who wants a mixed energy economy, I was very pleased to hear that they're expanding our infrastructure on one side to reduce the amount of emissions that we're producing to try to help the climate, while also understanding, the Biden administration obviously has an understanding, that we can't fully get rid of fossil fuels. And that's what this plan also does. It doesn't just get rid of of all the old coal plants. It actually wants to give money to companies to produce a little bit less in the old out-of-date factories and invest in new, cleaner factories. So it's not saying get rid of coal production altogether. It's just saying if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. We're going to do it with less emissions. And I believe I have a quote here. Let me grab it. The incentive alone has positioned, quote, the incentives alone have positioned the country to cut its carbon pollution and other greenhouse gas emissions by about 40% compared to 2005 levels. To avert the worst of the mounting climate crisis, though, Biden has pledged to cut these emissions 50 to 52%. Getting the rest of the way there will require rules and standards to limit this dangerous pollution from three sources that together account for about half of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, cars, trucks, and dirty power plants. In April, the EPA is due to propose new rules to limit tailpipe emissions from cars, sport utility vehicles, and pickup trucks beginning in model year 2027 and separately from heavy-duty trucks. It's important that the agency stay on task and finalize both the rules by year's end. At a minimum, the standards should ensure new cars and light trucks emit 50% less carbon pollution by 2023 and put heavy trucks on a much cleaner path. So, end quote. You see what they're doing here. Biden is pushing for these lower emissions by increasing investment in technologies that will ensure these cars don't have to emit as much and also ensuring that these dirty power plants are not getting as much funding and they may actually get taxed more. If the EPA puts in certain regulations that they may get taxed more for producing more emissions, these companies are going to say, okay, well, our bottom line is getting hurt because we're using an old, dirty power plant. Well, I guess we should scale back a little bit and use some of those revenues to build a new, cleaner power plant. So you can see how this incentive structure is most definitely set up. And there are other benefits. I know I listed a few of my own personal thoughts and benefits about it, but there are some outright benefits that this author brings up. Quote, a recent Morgan Stanley report lists the soaring clean energy investment as one factor helping to drive an investment in business reengineering boom with boosts in productivity that can improve competitiveness and drive economic growth. And by speeding the shift to electric vehicles while generating renewable power on its own soil, the U.S. can help break its dependence on fossil fuels and drive climate change. 
hold our families and businesses hostage to the global price shocks beyond our control and pad the war chest of belligerent petrol states like Russia, end quote. So this is a good thing. Even if you don't love the fact that the government is coming down very hard and being very forceful in the way that they're ensuring that we have more green standards, and I could definitely agree with that. I empathize with that position. I actually, I have more than empathize. I do agree they could be less heavy-handed with it. But at the end of the day, you can't say, let's be clear, the spending isn't necessarily the great, a good thing, but you can't say that this plan, with what it's aiming to do, is a net negative. Maybe the way that they're doing it is a net negative, but the ideas of the plan alone are a good thing. We should not be as reliant on other nations such as Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Russia, China, oil producers all around the world. We don't want to be as reliant on them. And we also want robust infrastructure here in the United States. And if we're forced to create new renewable energy sources, we're also going to build out power grids to connect to those, which could make it easier to get electricity and cheaper to get electricity from one side of the country to another because we're investing in these new technologies. So we'll see how it all pans out. I wanted to bring this one up because it is a huge amount of investment that's going into this sector. And I think it's gotten very partisan views or partisan conversation from one side or the other. And let's be clear, you can tell my bias in there, but I think I gave a pretty decent both sides argument or both sides perspective. And if you don't agree with me, throw it down in the comment section. I'd love to hear what you have to say. We can maybe start up a conversation down there. All right, let's just jump to our daily delight. Scary Mommy. Yes, I know, right? Weird name for a website. A cat and baby duo are going viral for snuggling together in bed. So normally when you see a baby alarm go off, it's not something that you really love to hear, except maybe when something cute like this happens. Quote, Kelly de Alba opened her camera app to see the family's little black cat, Luna, snuggling her daughter, Kaylee. Luna had crawled up into Kaylee's crib, end quote. And, you know, obviously these two have a very special bond, even if Kaylee has no idea what's going on whatsoever. Quote, the baby camera footage shows Luna purring and nuzzling into the baby while you are my sunshine plays in the background, and it's truly adorable, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute videos or photos from this article or read any of today's articles, there will be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the links to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, where you can download it for a long car ride. And also, there's a Twitter handle, at Your Daily Flip, where I post links to the podcast on YouTube every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. All right, with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.